Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for giving up some time during your lunch break. I know it's a hard period to, to give for an event like this, but I know that God has called you here today, whether you believe in him or not, and your life will never be the same. So that's a pretty big call to start off with, and I'll explain a little bit as I go. There are a major range of issues as we think about God and I'm not going to try and address many of the big issues. There are many reasons that people have against the existence of God or many problems that people have to try and explore. Issues around suffering, why is the suffering, what about other religions, can you really believe the Bible, Very good questions and I'm not going to answer any of those today. (laughs) I do know that your life will change because I believe today you will have an encounter with God who will wipe away the issues and objections you may have if you don't believe that he exists. So in starting I'd like just to explore life's key questions and really there are only four big questions in life and none of them you're going to find about by attending lectures at Sydney University. So it's a great thing that you came along today. So who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And to whom am I accountable? They're really great questions for you to spend some time on. Currently, since I've left the University of Sydney at the end of last year, I chair a group of CEOs that meet each month. And I spend two hours with about 14 or 15 CEOs one-on-one and chairing a meeting. And these are some of the most successful people in Australia in terms of worldly success. But I can tell you that most of those people have got no answers or haven't thought about some of those issues which I've been pestering them about to actually think about what happens and what else is there apart from what happens to us day to day. Now, the Bible tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. It's one of the reasons why statistics show us that a very high percentage of people believe that there is a God. And I've got no doubt that every one of us here today has some sense there must be more to what this is. There must be more to these terribly boring lectures I've got to sit in, for instance. There's got to be more to what I'm doing with my life at the moment. And ultimately, these four questions are really shaped by whether we believe we're here as a random act of chance in a universe that's impossible to understand, but it's just something that happened uh, and was set in place for no particular purpose, or whether we believe that there is a God to whom we're accountable, who set everything in place and we are important and our life does matter. So, what we think about God is, I think is, is critical and very important. It's certainly true that what we think about God is important, but what God thinks about us is even more important. There's been a lot of publicity, as you know, in relation to Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion. Again, I'm not going to enter into a a debate here around some of the arguments that Richard Dawkins gives for 
the fact that there is no God. But I just wanted to point out that the question itself about God is one of the key questions of life. And too often we spend our time burrowing about in the minutiae of life and trying to work out what's going on, trying to pass exams, trying to do a range of things, whereas the big question is really important. So, one thing I would like to start out saying is that there was a very high percentage of belief that there is a God, a supernatural being, something more than we understand. Importantly, I'd say as a second point in relation to this, that in relation to Dawkins and some of his points, there are a credible number of scientists, in fact around recent statistics about 40% of scientists who are Christians and believe that who God is in the Bible and what he stands for and what he did and what he is doing and what he will do is absolutely credible uh, from a scientific point of view. So, I just wanted to start out with that background and I wanted to go to the next part of my talk which is really to say that many people will have some issues today. If you are not a Christian and you've come here today, then some of the things will sound like foolishness. I was talking to a colleague yesterday and talking to him about God and the, the issues he said, I just can't believe some of these things. They just seem like foolishness and they did to me at the same sort of stage of my life. But I want to say that each of us has a natural rebellion against God. There's no doubt that many of you here will find what I have to say is completely stupid. Strangely enough though, in this current world and in the current society, it doesn't seem strange to look at issues like crystals, horoscopes, star charts and seek wisdom in what clearly, if you had an intellectual approach to this, seems completely crazy. So, I believe that the radical position of every young person today should be to take up the Bible and to re-look at this word and say, what is this about? Is this really true? And what does it have to say to me? Because I believe that's the radical position. It's easy to drift into a whole lot of New Age stuff, but the radical position is to actually look at this stuff, which we've actually written off in our current frame of thinking. Some of you will be cut to the heart by God's word and we really want to, to investigate more today. The Bible is an extraordinary document. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Saviour of the world is communicated to us through this book. So I believe there's power and life in the Bible and in fact it is the very word of God. I think that you've probably come to, to university looking for equipping for your future in a job that's fulfilling. I do know that you won't find the wisdom here that you need. I believe the wisdom that we need is actually only revealed in the Bible, in God's very word. So, what I wanted to do is to tell you a little bit about my story and how I came to this point I am at the moment in my life. I graduated from this university 35 years ago. 
certainly not a Christian and certainly on a quest for meaning. After doing a year's post-grad work, I headed off to practice in New Zealand. It was a great experience working with a major range of species in New Zealand, including sheep and cattle and horses and dogs and pigs and, and everything. It was a great story. I think through some bureaucratic error, I was posted back to take a job as a lecturer in large animal surgery. Communication wasn't very good in those days and I think that they thought that if I was in New Zealand working as a vet, I must know something about large animals. It turned out I knew almost nothing. So it was a major challenge to come back and find myself operating on horses, uh, having never done anything before, and not only that, teaching it to students. It certainly, um, <laughs> certainly there were a lot of failures and um, many dead horses filled up the post-mortem room. <laughs> but I was on a quest for success and so I used to do things like staying up late at night with dead horses' legs, the horses that I'd killed the day before, <laughs> trying to work out how to... Uh, do a better operation the next day and then teach it to the students. And so, you know, they say the old story in this particular case was kill one, study one and then teach one, I think was the, 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 <laughs> the, the route that I was on. So, um, I quickly learnt that in the University of Sydney, one of the important things for acquiring success was degrees and scientific papers. So I set on a quest for degree acquisition and, um, and writing many papers. In fact, I have a feeling that I may have written more papers than I've read. And so that's a dangerous situation to be in. <laughs> so I, I, I acquired many degrees and I, I had a feeling that if I acquired enough degrees, I eventually would be, I feel content and satisfied. But whenever I achieved um, another major milestone with another degree, I discovered it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't fulfilling and I wondered, there must be more to life. Strangely enough, um, I had a, certainly I had a very significant prejudice against Christians who I believe were a bunch of hypocrites and wankers and that was certainly a prejudice that some of you may share right here in this lecture theatre. <laughs> it's certainly interesting then that I ended up finding myself at church uh, and my excuse really was that I decided that my daughter, who was then three or four, uh, I thought should go to Sunday school. It would be good for her to find out something about God. Now, it turned out that actually uh, I intended to drop her off at the, at the Sunday school, but I couldn't get out of the car park. So um, I, had to, I had to stay and, <laughs> and go to church. Um, it, it was interesting because it, I certainly met a number of people then after the service, I tried to get out the door pretty quickly, but I actually a few people cornered me and started to chat to me. And I realised as I talked to people and, and uh, then had lunch with them that these were just ordinary people. In fact, I could see there were people that were really struggling with their own lives and believed that there was a God who would help them in their whole life. So, I, I certainly started to change my feeling, but I really didn't know why I was there and I really didn't know what I believed. On my way out of church one day, I, um, I certainly was trying to escape. I always used to try and escape quickly. It was one of the things if you go to church is to try and get out quick before someone might ask you a difficult question like, do you believe in God? Um, usually they ask you things like, would you like a cup of tea? Um, that's an easier question to answer. <laughs> but I was certainly in a, had a sense, well, there must be more to life. 
On the way out of church one day, the minister cornered me and asked me if he could come and visit me at work. It was a question that, uh, you know, immediately you feel like saying no to, but you can't think of an excuse. Um, I think I was too polite to say no. I didn't want, the last thing I wanted was a minister to turn up at work and the thing that really worried me is he may turn up at work wearing a collar, uh, you know, that, that would identify him. So, I, um, I said, yes, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> I hadn't learned at that stage that lying was a sin. So, um, so he visited me in my office and I'll never forget, I had an office about the same size as, the, of this, as this table here. It was a small office and it had um, a tiny window on, in, the, in the corner which you could break to climb out of if it was an emergency. And the minister came in and he sat down with me across my desk in this tiny office and I had a horse waiting downstairs to be operated on. A horse awaiting death probably. At the <laughs> and I was there making polite conversation when they called and said, um, we've got this horse anaesthetised, we need you to come down and operate on it immediately. And um, I said, well, look, I'm going to have to go. He said, look, before you go, I've got a question to ask you. Uh, and this was the question that he asked me. It's a tough question when you're about to operate on a horse. Um, <laughs> and um, he said, what reason would you give to God? If there is a God and you died today, what reason would you give to God for being allowed into heaven. I think just at that particular stage there was a screech of brakes on Parramatta Road to punctuate the whole story. I thought, yes, I could die today um, walking across Parramatta Road. And, and I knew it was an important question. So I said, look, um, I've got to operate on this horse but I can see it's a pretty important question. Um, I'll get back to you. So um, I was there sort of thinking, what on earth's going on here? And um, I was then really reflecting on what it was. What reason would I give to God for being allowed into heaven? And I was struggling to come up with some good reasons. In further investigation, um, I discovered I had a good, there was a good reason for that. And I just wanted to go through quickly the reasons why I had difficulty answering this question. If there is a God and the God is a God who is totally perfect in every way and requires each of us to be perfect, then... Here is ground rules. They are not the ten suggestions, remember, they are the ten commandments. And the first one is you'll have no other gods before me. Well, I, I certainly had many gods before him because my own career was the most important thing for me. God says you shall not make yourself a carved image, you shall not bow down or serve them. Well, I was certainly serving many things and trying to do many other things than make God important in my life. The third commandment says you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. This really caught my attention because I was probably the world's most champion swearer. In the world swearing championships I really really would have got first place. And when you were dealing with the horse owners and particularly racehorse trainers you become a champion swearer because it's the only way they can understand you. Every every second word has to be a swear word. And I did a really top job. Um, So and one of the things I realised I was taking the Lord's God name in vain and he really cared about that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I was working seven days a week and most nights to get ahead. I wasn't keeping anything holy. Honour your father and mother. I remember that just a few years earlier I chased my mother with a hammer. <laughs> now, she had really upset me, it's fair to say. <laughs> and it's also important to note that she was very fleet of foot. I couldn't catch her. <laughs> but I realised I hadn't honoured my father and mother. 
you shall not murder, I thought, well, I'll get away with this one. But actually, as I read more closely, it turned out that Jesus said, even if we look at someone and harbour anger against them in our hearts, it's the same thing as having committed murder. You shall not commit adultery. I'd done that one in, and I'd certainly done the story in with Jesus saying, even if you look at a woman with lust, that is the same thing as having committed adultery. You shall not steal. I remember what in the early days at, at school I'd gone through into the newsagents and pinched a couple of things. It was really, but, but that was, I guess, the start of my life of crime. So I'd done, done that in. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. I certainly felt I'd done that. And you shall not covet. I'd certainly coveted many things, uh, including a range of cars and other things that I could see people in houses. And so I thought, well, that's 10 out of 10. Um, I think I'm in bad shape. So I went back to my minister and I said, look, I think I'm in bad shape. I can't give any excuse in this whole story. So I thought I was a good person. It turned out I was wrong. Um, I couldn't stand before God and have any sense that I could be just and justify myself before God. So I said to the minister, look, I'm in, I think I'm in bad shape. What should I do? And he said, read the Bible. I said, read the Bible. Give me some decent advice. What should I do here? He said, no, no. He said, this is the important story. There is the solution in here for you if you actually look in this book of God. And so I said, okay, um, I will read the Bible. And one of the things that I did discover was a God who is perfect in goodness and who will demand an account of our life. It says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. It also says God commands every men and women everywhere to repent. That is to turn your life around. Why? Because he's appointed a day in which he'll judge the world and us in righteousness. So, I suddenly realised the whole story. We're all on death row. We think that we're actually living a great life, but death is the only certainty. And here I was, mucking about, trying to do many things and completely living in an alien way to what God required of me. I was on death row and the condemnation of God was certain. If I was going to actually meet up to the standards of God, I couldn't do it. So I realised I was in real, real trouble. Certainly one of the things that was important for me was the realisation I couldn't escape God's judgement. In a heavenly law court, I was guilty. Now, is that a bad thing? Well, you know, there's lots of jokes about people coming up to the pearly gates and giving various things, excuses to St Peter about why they should be left in. I realised actually that I had no excuse. I couldn't stand before God. What would it be like? Many people think, well, it's no worries. If, if I'm going to hell, a lot of my mates will be there. If it turns out, as I read God's word, there are no mates in hell. It's a place of everlasting torment, everlasting punishment, everlasting fire, suffering, weeping, but otherwise okay. So it's a, it's a really tough place to be and you don't want to be there. So the issue then has to be, there must be a way out. I realised I couldn't stand before God, I couldn't look him in the eye and say, look, there's a reason I should be allowed into heaven. Yes, there is a way out. I went back to my minister, he said, read the Gospel of Mark. It was a good place for me to start. It was a short Gospel. It brought me to the very person of Jesus. It turned out that I found out early on in this Gospel an outrageous claim for Jesus. He had the power to forgive sins 
and he had the power to heal disease. It says many other things, but that really arrested me and caught my attention. It tells us in the Bible that Jesus is the very Son of God. Now, what I discovered then was that I couldn't stand before God. I could never stand before him and justify myself. But in fact, he sent his son, his only son, into the world so that we could be forgiven, that he could stand in our place, if you like. Can you imagine having been in a hit and run accident in a situation where you were over the limit, you'd knock someone down, you'd caused a lot of damage, you were facing a fine of perhaps half a million dollars and someone steps forward to pay that for you. Now, that's the situation I found myself in. I knew that out of these ten things I deserved judgment, but actually Jesus had stepped forward and taken that judgment that I deserved and he had paid the price for me. That's what the Bible told me. And I knew in my life, in that very moment, that my life would never be the same again. That there was a saviour. I didn't know what a saviour was. I was a bloke that had heard Amazing Grace. In fact, I'd gone to church. I thought it was a song about a girl called Grace. You can't be more stupid than that. You can't be more against the very story of God to actually not understand that Amazing Grace, the very song about the amazing grace of God who gives liberally of his amazing love to us, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus has come and paid that price. So I realised that I didn't actually need to do anything but to just step forward and ask God for forgiveness to say, I repent, I turn away from where I've been, I need you to come and change my life and to do something new in me. In fact, it seems a crazy story, doesn't it, to think that we're going to be empowered by another life. But that's been the story of where I've come from. I've been empowered by a new life, the life of Christ himself. That's what it tells us, in us. So, it would be great to know that after that life was just beautiful and I had amazing love and success and everything went well but things were pretty tough. Many, things, many tough things happened. I had a daughter that became involved with drugs. She also had bipolar problems. She tried to commit suicide many times. I know that I've failed as a father. I've had a wife who I didn't do a really good job as a husband with in many, many ways and she took her own life. Um, I realised that I'd continuing to, I've continued to fail in many, many ways. But I can tell you that the foundational story here is that once Jesus comes and lives in you, there is never a sense that there's a lack of hope. There's never a sense that we can't make, make sense of the whole world because God tells us he works everything for good for those who know and love him. What I could hold on to with certainty was the very word of God that he is working everything for good even if I don't understand a lot of the issues that are happening in my life. And it's been a struggle at many times and at many times I've struggled to actually understand and believe but I can tell you there is living power in the very word of God in the Bible itself and I know that if you look at that word and you ask God to give you understanding, then your life can be changed completely. So the forgiveness of God 
is available to anyone who will understand that they need that forgiveness, turn in faith and ask for forgiveness and understand what Jesus has done. More than that, there's an empowering God that enables us to live afresh in a new way each day. So, in just wrapping this talk up, I just wanted to make a couple of important points. I believe that the fear of the Lord is the very foundation of what we need to understand if we're going to live successful lives and successful lives in the fact that we know we have hope. We know that this isn't a random, random universe. There is a point, there is a purpose. In Proverbs 2, 1-5, part of the Old Testament, written three and a half thousand years ago, these are the key words. My child, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We can't think our way into God. We can't work out how God is because we've only got our thoughts And our thoughts are clearly not God's thoughts. This part of the Bible tells us that if you receive the word of God and treasure them within you, so if you take them into your very being, if you listen for the wisdom of God, if you apply your heart to understanding his word, if you cry out, if you ask God to teach you, then by seeking it as if a hidden treasure, so really searching you will understand the fear of the Lord and we certainly cannot do that just by trying ourselves. Whatever we think, it's not enough. Our concepts of God are entirely wrong in every regard. God has revealed himself in his very word, the Bible. And the knowledge of God is the the final story that, that is a sign of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord, understanding there is a God, there is a God who will judge us, there is judgment coming for the world, How can we stand before him? Understanding that Jesus has paid the price and stood in our place. We can then understand the fear of the Lord but stand in confidence. So I think it's important to seek God while he still may be found. Call on him while he is near, it says. Certainly true for me in that situation where the minister asked me that question all those years ago. I must have been 34 or 35 at the time. It may be that we have no more time. 150,000 people die every day. You know, you mightn't make it to the end of the day. You need to challenge yourself with this question because we don't know what's going to happen. A good relation of mine dropped dead in the street in Country Road. A great place to die, you might say, depending on your fashion sense. But no, it can happen just in a moment. She was not expecting anything wrong to, to happen. She had just been down, her daughter just had a baby. She was standing there, bang, she was dead. We don't know, so don't delay in investigating some of these issues. Whatever our thoughts are, they're likely to be wrong in relation to God. We cannot possibly think our way into God and the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
So, I think it's really a key issue for us to, to realise that whatever we think, it may be wrong. It is a radical position to actually look at the Bible and to actually say, perhaps there's something in this, perhaps this is the Word of God. God, help me understand it because I can tell you, when you come across a lot of the things in the Bible, it will seem like foolishness. But if you feel a prompting by God today, as I've asked that question, what reason would you give for being allowed into heaven? How did you go in the test against the Ten Commandments? There's a reason to investigate because God's judgment is coming. The coming wrath is assured and there is a, there is a day of judgment where we're all going to have to give account of our lives. If I go back to the four original questions, these questions make sense, I believe, if we look into the Bible, look in God's word and we're willing needed to draw near and to seek him. The Bible tells us some extraordinary mysteries that our intellect tends to reject. For example, who am I? The Bible tells us that we're made in the very image of God. Where did I come from? From the beginning of time, the Bible says, God knew me and loved me. Where am I going? I realise I'm certainly going to hell. But turning from our sins, asking forgiveness and believing Jesus gives me a certain hope and a future on the day of judgement. I know that Jesus paid the price for me. He stood in my place. All I need to do is to turn away from the life I was living, believe in him and understand that he is control of my life. To whom am I accountable? Whether you believe it or not today, you're accountable to God. We're all accountable to God, the creator of the universe. The Bible tells us, he who believes and is baptised will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So it's a binary story here. It's either this, we either turn from our sins, believe and are saved, or we're already condemned. So you've got a choice today. If you haven't read the Bible, don't delay. Check the story out and I believe a good place to start is the book of Mark. And I believe that if you actually say to God, God, I don't know if this is a heap of garbage, I don't know anything, but if, there, if you are God, reveal to me what is in your book. Tell me if there's something I need to understand here. And I believe that the very creator of the universe seeks to draw near and to come close to you. He's a God of intimacy. and He's a God who delights in all his people. Even Napoleon said, the nature of Christ's existence is mysterious, I admit, but this mystery meets the wants of man. Reject it, and the world is an inexplicable riddle. Believe it and the history of our race is satisfactorily explained. Thank you for taking the time to come today. I do appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. I hope that I've given you something to think about, to stimulate you and to investigate further. I'm happy to have some questions if, uh, if there's any issues that people would like to, to explore any further. Thank you.